Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast series. We exist to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Now let's join Pastor Alan Kiesbo for this week's teaching. Shareholders meeting after the service this morning. We're going to just move seamlessly into it. And if you uh, need to leave, we'll, we'll, we'll let you leave. We don't lock the doors or anything. But once a year, we think it's good to talk about the business of the church. And so we'll start with a meal. And during that meal, we've got some questions that we'll share with all the tables to kind of just, what are some questions you have? How, why do we do what we do or whatever? It's a chance not only for us to share with you about the business of the church, but you to tell us you're not communicating very well in these areas. So it's a give-and-take meeting. I would expect we'd be done by noon or a little bit after noon, so it's not an all-day. No boxing gloves allowed. uh, No fighting allowed. We communicate. Uh, And if you've been traumatized by other church meetings, uh, don't worry. Uh, This is a friendly gathering, and uh, we really do enjoy these times together. I don't know if you noticed the countdown video before worship, the, the ad campaign mayhem. I love that campaign, uh, partly because I think it resembles my life. Uh, nothing has ever stopped me from doing something because I didn't know how to do it. And uh, I've got some physical scars to, to demonstrate that. Uh, but we live in a world of mayhem. And maybe that's why I just think that ad is so helpful. Uh, now, the, the, the assumption of the ad campaign is that if you have the right insurance, you won't have mayhem. I can disprove that personally. <laughs> insurance has never kept me from hurting myself or my, my physical property. Uh, when Jesus came and lived and walked amongst the people, uh, he came into a world of mayhem. Politically, it was crazy. The Roman Empire had swooped down into Palestine and had, had tried to take away all of Judaism, but they couldn't do that, so they lived in some kind of uh, combination of Roman government and uh, Jewish government, and money was being sent to Rome. It was a crazy time political. It was filled with mayhem. On the religious world of the day, religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees were in a perpetual battle between one another to say this was the right way. In addition, Jesus came at a time that follows a 400 years period of silence. And the people were seeking, hungry, desperately looking for a word from God. And into this situation of complete mayhem, Jesus comes and he walks amongst the people in peace. He speaks of life. He speaks of, he speaks of new life, life that has implications right now. That as followers of Jesus, we can expect our lives to be transformed. But he also talked about eternity. That there is an eternity that we can be in complete shalom, which was something for the Hebrew Jewish people they had longed for. Knowing that back in Genesis, there was a time when the world just fit. Humanity was connected to humanity. Humanity was connected to creation. and, and, And all of it was connected to God in a way that there was... Everything was in order. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, there was a sense of, okay, this may be the shalom, the peace, where everything fits again that we're looking for. One Passover evening, Jesus gathers his people, 
and starts a teaching that is recorded. It starts in John 13. And he speaks of this new order. And it's different from the mayhem people are experiencing. And he talks about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what, what they can have now and what they will have to grow into. And in the middle of this passage, in John 14, 4-7, he says this, and it starts with Jesus speaking. And you know where I am going. No, we don't know, Thomas said. We love Thomas. Uh, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We still live in mayhem. There's parts of the teaching of God that we can hold right now that our lives can be transformed. In the one hand, it's as simple as just acknowledging who Jesus Christ is, asking for forgiveness and claiming him as the Lord of our life. And, and we are adopted into the family of God and we are transformed. That's one part of it. The other part is very complicated. That Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. Make it a lifelong preoccupation. Let it be the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about at night. Seeking God not as something that you hold, but in a sense you hold it, but you are always looking for it. And in that, Jesus says, you will know me, the way, the truth, and the life. We will soon be in the official preparation of Easter. And since we're so organized, we're going to start it early. Uh, this <laughs> first time I've been early in my life. Uh, we're starting a series in our life serve groups, and we will use this resource by Eugene Peterson called The Jesus Way. Uh, we have some books and some study guides. Uh, if you'd like to take one of these, I find Eugene Peterson very deep and a little confusing. Uh, but hopefully on Sunday we'll clear part of the haze and then our life serve groups will gather around these same themes that he presents and really kind of hash them out together. But as we think about the Jesus way, it really is the embodiment of the idea that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes the history of Christianity has mixed that up and pulled that sentence apart. So I'd want to just preface this whole study by understanding and talking about the fact that the Jesus way means walking in community. Jesus living out the way is a call to community. As I said earlier, in a sense, becoming a follower of Jesus is very simple in that it's just a confession, an acknowledgement. But the lifelong journey is that we're not just accepting Jesus, we're accepting Jesus' people. And that might be the rub for you. Uh, because some of Jesus' people don't always look like Jesus. And we come together in community and we say the way of following Jesus is connecting what Jesus taught with how we live. When Jesus starts his last portion of his life, of his, of his teaching, when he starts teaching in a way that he will die in the next 24 hours, this is how Jesus starts. He takes off his outer robe, he takes a basin, he takes some water, and he goes and he takes a role of the servant. The Jesus way starts with getting on your knees before your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you ask the question, how can I serve them? For those people who had walked 
in dusty and dirty roads. Their greatest need that evening was to have their feet washed, normally done by the lowest servant. But Jesus, who it said, had all authority given to him by God, starts this teaching by washing his disciples' feet. The way of walking with Jesus is understanding who Jesus was and how he lived. And the way that Jesus taught wasn't just giving directions. On one of our trips out east, we stopped in Cincinnati. It was a very vivid memory because I thought we were going to die. And we were lost. And not the best part of Cincinnati. We were asking directions. My mother loved to meet people and loved to engage them. And, and nobody in Cincinnati never said they didn't know where we were talking about. They just gave us directions. You, you turn right, you turn left, you watch for this clock tower, you turn left again, you turn right. We never found our way <laughs> to where we were going. I don't remember where we were going, I just know we missed it. Because the verbal instructions were not helpful. Jesus did not only give verbal instructions... By his lifestyle, he said, here, let me show you. And as we live and as John 13, 14, 15 talk about what happens when Jesus leaves us, he teaches about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who will come to us and not just give us instructions, but will be people who say, oh, I know where you're talking about. Let me walk with you. And the invitation of community is that we imitate and replicate this model in Jesus. In our life serve groups and in our relationships, we just don't tell each other where and how to follow Jesus. We, we do it as a community. We walk together. I love what I see in this community at the point is to serve. Leaders who are serving. Maturity not measured by how much we know, but how closely we emulate the walk of Jesus as an example. The question we ask is not how important we are, But how important is Jesus' way to each of us? That is the Jesus way. To do this, we need to invest in the how. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are times where Christianity has become fascinated on the idea of God's truth without asking the question, how does this integrate with the way? The term evangelical has been hijacked, I believe, by our world, and when we hear this cycle in the news, it is often emphasizing the truth over the way. Evangelicals have been known now as people who have this defined theology. They've been separated by how we live. And so let us be people who invest in the way of Jesus. The term gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. That phrase comes from the culture when the king went out to battle, there would be messengers who would, who would be near the battlefield. And when the battle was won, the euangelion or the messenger would go to each town and say, the king has won. The battle's been a victory. We can celebrate. And the gospeler, the people who brought the good news were the people who could proclaim the king has won. That is still the truth we proclaim and we do it in a way that's consistent with the way that Jesus lived. When we separate the way of Jesus from the truth of Jesus, the truth becomes harsh and hurtful. We are the people of the good news. We are the euangelion. We get the word evangelism from that, that when we share Jesus with somebody, we are sharing the good news and it's that truth and life and the way that Jesus lived 
are brought together. Moses and Jacob, uh, Joshua told the people of Israel, this is the way. Don't depart from it. Don't turn right. Don't turn left. Stay on the way. The truth and the way were meant to be together. I've got crazy memories of my childhood, and I don't know why. They're just spiritual gifts, I guess. Uh, But fourth grade was a banner year for me. We had a teacher that was just out of college compared to the people who escaped from the nursing home. (laughs) And she was amazing. We loved her. Uh, Her name was Mrs. Grenzel. And we loved her. And as I thought about this idea, I don't remember in fourth grade ever knowing rules. We were just motivated to please and work with Mrs. Grenzel. We did have two classmates, though, who were really fascinated by the rules, and they were the playground Gestapos. They were out, and if we were doing anything close to being wrong, they were, their job was to tell us, you're going to be in trouble with Mrs. Grenzel. We never really liked those kids uh, because we didn't even think in terms of our relationship with our teacher that there were rules because we just knew what it meant to be a part of her class. As people of the kingdom of God, The truth can be crushing to people. I mean, think about it. If you're not having your best day, do you need somebody to tell you that? Your hair is a mess. They may be speaking truth, but who wants to hear it? Your outfit may not look very good, but do you really want to hear that from people? The the way Jesus lived and the truth Jesus shared were meant to always be connected. So as we share the truth, let us do it in a way that Jesus would do it. Third thing I'd want us to say is there is a partnership in the gospel. The Jesus way invites everybody to the table. We've just come through Easter where we talked about the unworthiness of the shepherds, the unworthiness of the magi, really the unworthiness of Mary and Joseph. These were common people. And yet in the greatest story of redemption, they get front row billing. The story and the way of Jesus is that all of us have gifts. Paul would go on in Corinthians to talk about every one of us who are followers of Jesus has spiritual gifts. These are the gifts that God has given us for use in the front row ministry of the kingdom of God. We don't have to be better. We don't have to be mature. We don't have to be a a finished product before God says, there is an invitation for you to be a servant in the kingdom of God. Again, as I think about this church, it is so joyful to see people exploring what are their gifts and seeing them at use. I don't know if you come to the point and you think this is a great architectural message, but I think our building speaks in many ways. One is history as a bingo hall. I'm not exactly what you would call the holy of holies necessarily. (laughs) And yet it is, in a sense, in the community and is being redeemed. There are churches where the chancel or the pulpit is way up high, kind of, spe- kind of identifying that when the pastor climbs those stairs, they are speaking for God. All right. For, for Randy, that's how he preaches. Uh, there are churches where we have pulpit furniture or chancel f- furniture, and the pastor sometimes comes out of a hidden doorway, sign, kind of like from this Holy of Holies, and he speaks to, to us as, as he's got a fresh word from God. I like how we do it at the point. 
that the speaker, the pastor, the preacher of the day is sitting with you. Life, in a sense, is represented by the congregation. And the sermon doesn't come just out of God's wisdom and truth, but it comes out of the congregation. And I love the message that happens at the point. My role as pastor is one as a servant, a servant leader. And, and, the, and the Jesus movement says there are times where change happens and the torch is passed, or the baton is passed on. But in the kingdom of God, each of us have a baton. And we need to run with that baton for a season, and sometimes we pass it off, and that is a part of the kingdom of God. An Australian evangelist by the name of Christine McCain has a great video about this process I'd love us to watch. You know, after 30 years of ministry, I feel like I've only just started. I have never been more excited about the future. I am full of faith for the future. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, scripture says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. So I'm talking to all the leaders that are my age and over and all of the young leaders. We are all part of the us also. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so we are part of a great cloud of witnesses. This is our time where the baton of faith is in our hands. We've got to quit waiting for the cavalry because nobody else is coming. Tag, we're it. The baton of faith is in our hands. God believes that we are the best people to be on the planet leading in his kingdom right now in order to carry this baton of faith to our generation, for our generation, in our generation. You know, I was at the Sydney Olympic 2000 Olympics. I know that's how old I am. Some of you watching this weren't even born then. But anyway, I was at the 2000 Olympics and I was watching the women's 4x100 meter relay. Now the American team, the female team, was the fastest team on paper. They thought they were going to win. I mean, they were so fast. But coming into the third exchange, they got really lazy and really scrappy and Bahamas and Jamaica took up and they actually beat them. And instead of getting a gold medal, the women's 4 by 100 meter team got the bronze medal, even though they were the fastest team on paper, just because they got lazy in the exchange zone. Well, then in 2004 at the Athens Olympic, again, the American 4 by 100 meter female team was the fastest team on paper. But what happened is coming into the second exchange, Marion Jones was slightly fatigued. And so she couldn't get the baton into the hands of Lauren Williams in time. And she handed the baton to her outside of that exchange zone, outside of that 20 meter zone. And so they were disqualified. So the team that was the fastest should have won, but got disqualified. Well, then we get to 2008 and we're in Beijing and we get to the third exchange. Again, the four by 100 meter women's team was the fastest team on paper. But what happened was they dropped the baton in the exchange zone. So the whole team was disqualified and lost because of the drop baton. Well, then, of course, 2012, 
in London. Again, the fastest team on paper. They had seamless exchanges within the exchange zone. And the team finally got the gold medal that they should have got in each of the Olympic Games. What am I saying? I'm saying that we're at a pivotal time in history as leaders in the kingdom of God. The baton of faith is in our hands. We get to carry this baton to the next generation. But there's always an exchange zone. 0.9 seconds, 20 meters. That's all it is. In that exchange zone, are we going to have a seamless exchange or are we going to drop the baton? Are we going to hand the baton on too late? Because if we get scrappy, if we get lazy, if we drop the baton or we hand it on too late, then what's going to happen is we're going to miss the seamless exchange of carrying the baton from one generation to the next. We're part of a great cloud of witnesses. We have got the cloud of witnesses in heaven cheering us on, wishing they had our opportunity, wishing they were around in the days of a connected world, a digital Babylon where they could take the gospel of Jesus Christ forward. We get to do that. So young people, some of you need to step up and carry the baton. We're waiting to hand some batons onto you. You need to grab that baton and run. You've got to know sometimes when you come into an exchange zone, you're running without the baton before you get the baton. Some of you need to get in your lane, get ready so that we can hand the baton onto you. Some of us older ones, there's some batons that we need to hand off before we get out of the exchange zone, before it's too late. We all need to be running together. We're always handing one off, picking another one up. Handing one off, picking another one up. There is no... There is no cloud of witnesses here on earth. There is no arena here where you can be cheering people from the grandstands. We've got to be in our lane, running our race and finishing our course. There are no spectator seats here on earth. In our vapor, let's make a decision. If we don't, what's at stake? To me, the very saddest scripture in the Bible is at stake if we don't take seriously what we've been learning. The Bible says in the book of Judges, you know it's serious when I'm getting to Judges, Judges chapter 2 verse 8, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years after everything he'd done, came out of Egypt, lived in the wilderness, went and possessed the promised land. He died at 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timonath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done from Israel. If you hear nothing else, hear this, that after all the great things we have done, that if we do not hand the baton of faith from one generation to the next, then it's all for nothing. Joshua was one of the greatest men in the kingdom that ever lived. He saw God provide miraculously. He saw miracles, signs, and wonders. He went into the promised land. He possessed the promised land, but ultimately he failed because after him another generation arose that did not know the Lord nor the works that he had done for Israel. Leaders, let's make a decision. That's not going to happen on our watch. On our watch, another generation is not going to arise that doesn't know the Lord or the great works that he's done. We're going to carry this baton of faith to our generation. And so you young ones, grab the baton, get in your lane, start running. We're ready to hand it on. Us older ones, this is no time to retire. There is the cloud of witnesses is in heaven. That's when you join the cloud of witnesses here on earth. Pick up the baton that you might have dropped, start running, get in your lane, finish your race. A generation is at stake. Did you hear that phrase as she said, God thinks we are the best people at this time. Uh, 13 years ago, First Baptist I gave to Denise and I a baton to say, run with this. We'd already been running. Denise was the leader of the contemporary worship. I was a youth pastor there for a billion years. 
And we had been running, but they said, here's the new baton. And so we've run with it the last 13 years. It has been a great joy for us. But as God has done to the point, I wasn't going to do that. (laughs) It has been the deepest joy. But that felt the sense of God is calling us to pass this baton. And watching Joel uh, lead and teach and preach and love the young people and love you as this congregation. And it's just been crystal clear that it is time for me to pass this baton to Joel. This, these are tears of joy, believe me. <laughs> uh, and so we have worked with the vision team to come up with a transition plan that June 1st of this year. Uh, I will officially hand the baton to Joel. Just because I'm a bad habit, I'm going to stick around for a year as a part-time staff member uh, to just be an encouragement uh, and strengthen, hopefully, the ministry in any way I can. I've been offered to preach up to half the time, and and, uh, that will be for Joel and I to work out. There's a lot of details that we will continue to work out for. But from June 1920 to 21. Um, I will be continue to be on staff, and then uh, following that, we plan to continue to be a part of the point. You are our people. Uh, we love you, and there is no place we'd rather spend time serving God together. Uh, the vision team has given me the r- title Pastor Emeritus, which I have said is Greek for old and grumpy. Uh, so I will do everything I can to fulfill that role. Um, But it is with joy that we pass this baton, believing that this has got to work in us and through us. And so as we uh, have a um, a lunch, one of the questions that we're encouraging to talk about your tables is just, do you understand what I'm saying? I will say a word about Denise. Denise is going to continue in her role for that year as well. Uh, as we look for a person who may take that role uh, and run, and she will also pass that baton off. But we are thankful for the chance God has given us to serve with you and look forward to the days ahead. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll have a song, and then we'll try try to organize the mayhem of a congregational meeting. Uh, Dear God, thank you for the point is to serve. Uh, for a baton that was passed and for the opportunity and privilege to run with this in a way that uh, you have been at work in lives. God, it is a joyful transition, and I thank you for Joel and John and their leadership and how they are running full speed and that when this baton is passed, it will be seamless and the kingdom of God will be strengthened and encouraged. So in the days ahead, give us grace and strength as we go through this transition. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together. You've been Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.